How is everybody today? Good. Thanks. Good. Awesome. Good. Man, we are so glad to have you guys, have you here today, whether you are visiting with us uh, or whether you are a member or you're just a regular. And we are glad to have you. Thank you for choosing to worship uh, with us today. We are excited about what God is going to teach us through his word. If you're joining us live stream, as Will said, thank you for tuning in as well. We know that the situation that we're in, uh, that some of you are unable to, to be there, and I know that you are uh, wanting to be, and so we are uh, just glad that we get to connect in this way. Please let us know. Uh, we have that connect card to let us know if there's any way that we can be praying for you even there at home, okay? And so uh, we are continuing our series, Start Here. We are in our third week of sermons on Sunday mornings. We are in our beginning our third week of our small group studies as well. And so if you are not participating in those small groups, I'm excited to tell you our uh, Jeremiah, who's over all of our groups, sent me a text message this week and said that, that we have grown. Our groups are bigger than they've ever been. In the Take that, COVID, right? They're bigger than they've ever been, that we had a majority of our folks, over 50%, um, over the, the number that we would normally have on a Sunday morning that are participating in our groups. So if you're not participating in groups, you are missing out on what the majority of our church is doing. And so uh, we don't want you to continue just coming, and we're glad to have you, but we want to encourage you to plug in to small groups. Uh, that small group accountability is so, so very vital. In fact, in the, old, in the New Testament, you can make the argument that the church is more small groups than it is a large group gathering like this. Uh, and so, please, that is an important thing for us, and we are tracking right along with what we're doing on Sunday mornings for at least the next couple weeks. The last two Sundays, we talked about man, or excuse me, we talked about God at the beginning. We talked about who God was, that he was great, he was good, that he is good, and he is glorious. Uh, we, we talked about his revelation in our small groups. We discussed what it was for God to reveal himself to man through his word, through special revelation, but through general revelation as well. Last week we talked about how man, God's choice creation to reveal of whom to reveal himself to, man was made in the image of God and, and the implications of of that, that we are made in God's image bearer in creation. This past week, we talked about for us as the church have been called out from creation and from man to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, that we have a purpose for living. If you have accepted Christ, if you have experienced the Holy Spirit of God's presence in your life. There is a reason that you are continuing to convert oxygen into carbon dioxide. Everybody breathe in, breathe out. If you're still doing that, there's a purpose for you. There's a plan for you. Otherwise, the best place for us to have died would have been between the altar and our seat, having received Christ just to be taken up. But no, there's a point that we all as the church serve for kingdom glory because we find ourselves today in Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3. So you can, if you're turning there, you can actually turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be there first. But Genesis chapter 3 has impacted every single one of us in this room. Genesis chapter 3, it took two chapters. Man was created in Genesis 1, and then it took two chapters, and it really didn't take that amount of time for man to screw it all up. In Genesis 3, tragedy strikes. Tragedy, true tragedy strikes. Uh, We had a member of our church who lost a loved one uh, this past week, and as we were praying and and praying with them through this loss, uh, he came and told me today that through this person's death, death of an extended family member, through this person's death, that another family member came to Christ. Church, that is, that is not tragedy as the world sees tragedy, right? We see untimely death as, as tragic, and it is tragic in a physical sense, but it is merely a human perspective. Heaven is richer as a result of what happened and transpired in this family this week. And so, but there is true tragedy that happens in Genesis chapter 3. Man who is made in God, God's image, as we talked about last week, who is a reflection of the holiness and the goodness of God and who God is, rebels against God and his clear design for them. Genesis chapter 3 tells us the details of the fall. Of man who was not just good, but according to Genesis 2, was very good broke God's heart. God knew it was coming, right, in his sovereignty, but we rebelled against God. And so we will look at the fall this week. In your Bibles, as you turn them on, as you turn in your copies of God's Word to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 8, beginning. Let's look at the caution. Let's see how God sets the table for man. Listen to what it says in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Literally, the word Eden means paradise. So we get wrapped up in a place, but God placed man in the garden of paradise. Right? It was perfection, perfectly suited for man. And listen to what it says. He placed him in the garden in, in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom... He had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Every tree in that garden was pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's important later. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One of the great themes of Scripture is understanding the Two trees that we find identified specifically in the Genesis account. We have, it's not two and two, I guess it's one and one, right? We have the tree of life, right? God creates the tree of life. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of scholars and theologians, many men way more intelligent than me, have debated this topic for years and years and years. There's a lot of that is uncertain and and ambiguous as we talk about these things. But God had created two trees to sit and to be in the garden of paradise. And the first that we find is the tree of life. 
This tree of life was represented, representative of the entire provision of God in the life of humanity. God had created, as we talked about last week, God had created Eden as the perfect place for man. The perfect place for man to thrive and to do everything within the purpose and the plan of God to survive, to thrive in the Garden of Eden. God created the tree of life. But even more than that, the reason why the tree of life was the tree of life is because the tree of life was immediately connected with the God from whom all life flows. What made the tree of life the tree of life is that it was connected to God. And for God to create the tree of life, for God to place the tree of life in Eden, was God supernaturally. The fruit of the tree of life, I understand it doesn't have to be an apple, by the way. All right, I thought about going with peaches or something like that just to throw you off. All right, but we're just going to stick with the stereotype for, for this illustration, okay? But for the tree of life... The fruit of the tree of life was symbolic of the connection that God had with his people uninterrupted. We've learned last week that God would speak with man in the cool of the day, right? That God would literally chill and hang out with man, with his creation. God had revealed himself to creation completely. The tree of life was God's incredible provision of not just good things, but provision of himself for man. But in the tree was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil stood As symbolic, we believe it was a real tree, a literal tree, but it stood symbolic of the authority that God has. The tree of knowledge and good and evil came with a stipulation. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but it came with a stipulation that if you were going to experience the life and unadulterated, unfettered presence of God, you had to submit to one thing. You had to submit to the fact that God was authority and ultimate authority in our life. That God had given man dominion over all the earth, over all the fowls of the air, over all the beasts of the field, over all the fish that swim, over all the plants that grow. But God was the authority for man. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil existed because it was representative of the authority of God, For God to rule man, for God to lead man, giving him access. In order to receive the access to me, there must be demands, there must be a law that is given. And so the caution was, the caution was found in verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now you know the story. Some of you are jumping ahead. And some of you have probably balked at the idea that Adam and Eve, having eaten the fruit, didn't die that day. To which I would respond to you, yes, they did. 
The translation here in the Greek, on this day you shall surely die. The, the correct grammatical translation in Hebrew would be better to say, it doesn't make grammatical sense in English, but this is literally what he's saying. On the day that you eat of it, dying, you shall die. On the day that you eat it, being in the present state of death, spiritually, you are dying. So dying, you shall die. It was over-enforced that even though physical death may not have come to Adam and Eve, the moment they would eat of the fruit, death would enter in. Spiritual death instantaneously. Separation from the tree of life, which is spiritual death, but also that death would be a reality in their life. I, I truly believe this, and scholars, some, many scholars agree with me, that had Adam and Eve chosen to eat of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would have been immortal. That they would have forever been connected with the fountain of life, with the source of life and community with God forever. But that's not what happened. My question is, and, and as, as a kid growing up, I had this question all the time. Why did God even create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Like, why would he even make it an option? Right? I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're really giving them the opportunity to blow it. Right? If you know what's going to happen, if he's sovereign, and let me tell you, when God created this, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, more than what it meant for man, he knew what it meant for himself. But God, why would you create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Monday, I went to watch the championship game with a friend of mine, a friend of ours house, and they have a ping pong table upstairs in their room. And all the kids were up there, and they were playing, and it was halftime or something like that. And uh, my wife gave me the task to go up there and check on all the kids. So I went and checked on them. My boys were doing typical boy things. You know, they had taken their shirts off, and they were running crazy. My son had, you know, probably has still not found his shoes from that night. Like, he, they, were, they were doing typical boy things. And I walked up there, and I saw the ping pong table. And immediately my son, who knows, Hudson, who knows that I like ping pong, said, Daddy, play ping pong with me. I was like, okay. I need to kind of chill for a little bit. I need to get my mind off of things. I'm going to play a game that I love with my five-year-old. And I hit him the ball, and he Babe Ruth that sucker as far as he could past me, to which I ran and got the ball. And I said, now here, son, let me tell you the rules of ping pong. The rules of ping pong are when I hit, daddy, just hit it. Okay, what'd he do? shanked it way off to the left, right? He's having a ball. Daddy is miserable. A game that I love, when not played by the rules, is not freedom, it's bondage. <laughs> and my son taught me that. Luckily, second half started, so I could, was delivered from my bondage. I, after having gone and chased every ball that was in the room a hundred times, I finally came downstairs, and we continued to watch the game, and all was good. But it perfectly illustrates the role that rules have 
in our relationship with Christ. We love the life. We love all of the things that's provided. But God has given us rules to live by. And so freedom isn't freedom without rules. My son thought he was having a good time, but I promise you, as he learns the game, he's going to enjoy ping pong more and more the more that he understands the rules. God's love is demonstrated in providing the tree of the knowledge in that he allowed man a choice. He allowed man. Why did God create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He created it because love without choice isn't love. Existence without choice isn't love. It's robotic. It's mechanic. It's not love. Do you know what impresses me most about my relationship with my wife? Although she could probably do better, she chose me. She chose me over every guy in this room. She chose me. She chose me over every guy in Satsuma, every guy that she came in contact with. She chose me. You know what I did? You know what I I did not do when we became engaged? I did not say, hey, woman, you're locked in this relationship with me forever, and there's nothing you can do about it. No. I told you all the story, right? I offered, I said, I would love to spend the rest of my life With you, I gave her a choice. Why? Because love requires a choice. Love requires a response. And so God lavished provision on man. He lavished life on them. He lavished connection with him forever on man in Eden. But within Eden, he gave them the choice of death. In your notes, in Eden, the choice of death was given in the greater context of life. He gave man the choice. Why? Because he loved us. He loved us and he desired to give us the opportunity to respond in obedience to him. You don't think that God knew creating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't think he knew what was going to transpire. But yet he created the tree of knowledge knowing that man would rebel against the authority that he had had in their life and it would require the death of his son. He knew it, but knowing all of this, sovereign of all of this, he loved us anyway. And even in creating the tree of knowledge was in essence giving us his son before we were ever even created. God had provided everything that man needed, but man would choose to try instead of trusting in the provision of God, instead of resting in knowing that a good God, a life-giving God would give life forever, man chose rather to try and provide for himself. Because it was more important for man to try to to provide for himself in his own authority than under God's authority to make sure that to have all of his provisions met. It was more important to man to call the shots in their own life. And so secondly, let's look at the crime. 
We, we see that man apparently didn't waste any time running to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The very next thing we find, where is man after God creates everything and then creates woman out of the side of man and presents him to man? Where's the first thing after the creation of woman, after the marriage between Adam and Eve? What's the very first place we find man? At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The very first place. There wasn't days that went by. Man ran to provide for himself. Man apparently ran to the tree of knowledge and had nothing to do with the tree of life. In chapter 3, verse 1, listen to what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. These, these, are, the, these are the same things. It was desirable to the eyes. What did God say about every other tree that was created? It was desirable for the eyes. It was good for food. But when she saw this one, the appeal to this is that it made one wise. It made one an authority. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband. And guys, if you think this is the man-bashing sermon, or the woman-bashing sermon, we're getting back from all the Lifetime movies that we've had to watch. If you think that's what this is, he gave, she gave it to her husband, who was with her. Not only was he with her, But he refused to take the spot because God had given him the command. He refused to take the spiritual stance. And in fact, according to his actions, was within agreement to it all. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's look at the temptation of the serpent here. That Satan, right, took and taking the form of the serpent, came and tempted man. Tempted man. Again, God gave them a choice. The tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was given as a choice in a greater context of life, but man ran to the sin. But look how the serpent tempted. The first thing that he did, we see that when he identifies God, before this time, the prominent way of depicting God, of explaining and detailing who God is, that if we believe the writer of this text to be Moses, which we we should and we do, that Moses identifies God as Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. Lord God. The name Lord was given specifically by God to Israel. It was the covenant name of who God was. It was the name that Israelites weren't allowed to even mention. They weren't allowed to say it. They weren't allowed to speak it. But when God interacted with Israel, he interacted with them as 
Yahweh Elohim. Not just God in a very distant sense, but this is a God of covenant. He is the Lord God, and he is in covenant with us, and we are in covenant with him. But when Satan identifies God, he references him only as Elohim, as God, right? He begins attacking the relationship that the woman and the man enjoyed with God. He attacked the lordship of God. He attacked their submission under God. Now he was just a distant foreign being that requires you to serve him. What was he doing there? He was sowing doubt in the relationship between God and man. He was sowing doubt in the tree of life. that This life-giving tree that, that God giving access to himself was no longer valid and it was no longer a concern for them. And the woman bought it. What did, Adam, what did Eve say? God said. She responded with, well, Elohim said. Not the Lord God, not my God, not the God of covenant. But yeah, God said that we should do this. Tony Evans, in in response to this, listen to what he says. Will God be Lord God to you? Or will you just say that he is God while making your own decisions? Is he... Lord God, or is he just the man upstairs that you pay homage to when you can, but ultimately you do your own thing throughout your life? Whenever you allow the evil one to cause you to question the ultimate authority of God in your life, you jeopardize your influence in God's kingdom. Right, And so is he Lord God or is he just God? I believe it was easy for Eve to disobey God. Lord God was something different, but she allowed herself to be disillusioned by the enemy. Number two, he says to her, you, did God say that you, can eat, you can't eat from any tree? Did God say that you can't eat from any tree? Now she responds, no. God said that you could only eat You could only not eat from one tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is what God says. But the enemy says, did God say that you can't eat from any tree? Because already the wills in Eve's mind and Adam's mind were turning toward sin. And the funny thing about sin is the great lie of the enemy that we allow ourselves to believe sometimes is when we are tempted, we believe the lie that God in his goodness and in his life is holding back from us. He is holding something back. And the reason why we're limited, the reason why we're in the situation that we're in is because God just isn't giving me all his goodness. He isn't giving me all his faithfulness. He's not giving me all of his love. He's not giving me all of this privilege. And so because he's not giving me all of it, he's he's holding back from me. What was he sowing in the seed of woman, in the seed of man? What was he sowing there? It's funny to us. How we are as humans, when God says, don't eat of one thing, we tend to lose sight of everything. 
that he has provided. When God doesn't give us the one thing we want, we have a tendency to believe that God has withheld everything from us. The one thing becomes the only thing. And in their mind, they began fixating on the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then, he tells them two lies. The first thing he tells them is a lie that we believe in this country. Oftentimes, we believe. He told them, you will not surely die. What was he saying? There will be no consequence for the sin that you commit. We live our lives often believing the lie that there is no consequence for our sin. God doesn't be, Satan doesn't begin tempting alcoholics to destroy their whole life. He doesn't come to an alcoholic or a drug addict or, or someone that's, that's addicted to pornography. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to destroy your family with this. I'm going to destroy your life. I'm going to destroy everything about you by you taking this first sip, by you doing this first step, by you looking this first time. He doesn't begin there. Instead, he lies and tells us that our sin, because it's us, it's just you, nobody's going to know, it's just you, he lies to us and tells us that our sin will have no consequence. Remember, God wasn't there yet. God wasn't walking in the cool with him. Now, he was there, and we can obviously know, right, that God in his omnipresence was there, but God wasn't around, right? God won't know. It's not going to hurt anything. Just take a bite. Your sin has no consequence. But lastly, his lie was, you will not surely die. God's afraid that you will eat of the fruit and you will be like Not like him in aspiring to be holy and to be clean. This was found at the tree of life. But you, God doesn't want you to be him. He doesn't want you to be the authority. As we said, the tree of knowledge represented God's authority. God wants to rule over you as a puppet master forever. And he knows that if you eat of this tree, you will be like God, you will be able to call the shots in your own life. You'll be authority in your own life. These are the lies that we believe. My sin only affects me. My sin has no consequence. God is holding back from me, so I need to pursue this for myself. We miss the goodness and the provision of God Focusing on our sin. This is the heart of human rebellion. All that God has provided, we forsake because we want to be the Lord of our own life. Rather than to bask in the love and the fellowship with God, man chose to try and be like God, to be God for themselves. And hidden in the heart of man is the desire at all costs to call the shots for our life. It's why we can look at things that are inherently evil and we can say that they're good in this world. They're good and they're championed. It's why we can do these things. It's why we can look at our own lives and justify sin in our life because ultimately we want to call the shots 
for our life. But we know the story. What happened? In your notes, rather than the expected gain that they thought eating the fruit would provide, man's sin brought only guilt. Here's what happened. They took the fruit of the knowledge, the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They partook of the fruit. And as soon as they did, as soon as they did, instead of expecting some victorious gain, instead of, while they were expecting to be like God, expecting the rewards of God, the rewards that God has, when they took a bite of the fruit, they made two startling revelations. Number one, they knew good and evil. They gained the knowledge of good and evil when they immediately took bite of that fruit. Before that time, they had never known evil. Romans 16, 19 says, Be excellent at what is good. Be innocent of evil. They were completely innocent of evil. They didn't understand it. Didn't, they'd never seen its effects in their life. All they had known was life. But when they took a bite of the fruit, not only did they know good and evil, but they also came to the startling revelations that they were once good, now they were evil. They once knew what it was like to be in perfect union with the Father, to be like God, to be walking with God, to be unfettered in the image of God. And now they felt the brokenness of their condition, the brokenness of their sin. So the serpent was right. They did know good and evil, but they recognized that they had lost paradise. Now gaining the knowledge of good and evil, they recognized that although they were once good, they were now evil. And in their shame, what did they do? They made clothes for themselves. They realized, well, now it's not good enough. Now what I was before was fine when I was good. Now I'm evil. Now I've got to hide myself. Now I have to to cover my shame and my guilt. And so they began sewing plants together to make themselves some type of clothing. Rather than the expected gain, man's sin brought only guilt. Thirdly and finally, let's look at the cost. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is verse 8. In the cool of the day. As he had done before, right? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid for the first time an encounter with God brought fear to man. I was afraid because I was naked, because my sin was all over me. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And so the man owned up to it, and the man took all the blame, right? 
That is not what he did. The man said, this woman. And the woman said, this snake. And the snake took his little arms that he was only going to have for a little bit longer and went, right? They began to blame each other. The standard bearer for creation began to blame one another. For the serpent, God cursed the serpent. He cursed, and as representative all of all of creation, the animal kingdom, he cursed him. He cursed the serpent specifically to crawl on the belly and that there would be enmity between God and man. And when man was at his worst, I think this is great, Genesis 3.15, we have God at his best, right? Even in the sinfulness of man, even in the consequences that he is doiling out for all of creation, he gives us, but the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. He gives us news of Jesus. But he, he, he declares judgment on the serpent, on the creation. He declares a judgment on woman that there will be pain in childbirth, there will be pain in the home, that there will be difficulty and there will be strife. For the man, he not only curses the man, but he curses the ground that the man is going to work. And in that, all creation falls. All of creation is broken. He curses the ground. He tells them there'll be pain in his work and in his toil. And ultimately, dying, you will die. You have now, in taking a bite, you've experienced spiritual death. You will, uh, you will also experience physical death. Death is reality. You are removed from the tree of life, but there's more. Look what it says in Genesis 3 as we seek to close. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the, God, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword, and he turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I'm going to start from the end, and I want to go back in this text. When we see God kicking man out of Eden... It is absolutely a consequence of their sin. But it is also a demonstration of the goodness of God. What does he say there? Man has soiled himself. Man has made himself disconnected from me. Whether they live in Eden or not, I cannot be around them. I cannot have union and relationship with them. Here's the problem. The tree of life is in Eden. And if man eats of the tree, he was not denying an eternal existence from man. Do you know what he was denying them in casting them out of Eden? If they were to then realize that they had sinned and they were to run back to the tree of life and take a bite, that they would be forever, for eternity, separated from God. They would live eternally in separation from God because a result of their sin. So what did God say? Not only as a consequence for their sin, but for their own protection, we need to get them away from the tree of life. Do you know? Proverbs mentions it in a metaphorical sense, 
The only other place that we see a physical mention of a tree of life, you know where it is? Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter in all of Scripture. God brings down the new heaven and the new earth. We are united with God forever. He has put to death our sin and our death. And you know what's in that garden? The tree of life. He redeems us. God's plan was not to punish Adam only and Eve only because of their sin. In fact, he would bring eternality. He would bring an eternal existence back to man. Man is eternal, well, is an eternal being. God would bring that back. But first, he had to deal with sin. So Genesis 3 to Revelation 21 is God dealing with sin. It's the redemption of man. The history of our redemption. The cherubim wasn't there just to reinforce God's holiness, but it was to prove God's goodness for man to not be eternally corrupted. But in verse 21, God made covering for man. God made garments, and the scripture tells us that he made garments out of skins. What scholars believe is that this was the first death ever recorded in God's word. God created man and it was holy and it was perfect just like he was. God created creation and it was holy and it was perfect just as he was. It's how he could call it good. And when man fell, restitution had to be made. How did he come about the skins? He took the life of an animal. He, made, he sacrificed an animal because of the sin of man and he covered man's shame. He covered man's guilt. And from this point, throughout the record of the Old Testament, we see a constant thing, a constant theme of the animals, of creation, having to take the place of the sin of man just to cover their shame. And in this death, this death of this animal, which we don't know anything about, but the first death ever recorded... Covering man's sin, anticipated one who would finally not just clothe us, not just cover our guilt, but would make us truly clean. It was a prophetic demonstration of what Jesus would do for every one of us. But man was cast out. He was cast away from the tree of life. And so lastly, in your notes... Now outside Eden, the choice of life was offered in the greater context of death. Man chose death. He chose it in sinning, in rebelling against the authority of God in his life, in their life. And in so doing brought death on all creation. But the sacrifice of this animal points to the opportunity that God has given, gave Adam and Eve. 
He gave Abraham, he gave Moses, he gave David, he gave the Old Testament prophets, that he gave Israel, that he gave all of those that would seek him. He gave them the choice, the option of life in the middle of all their death. We blew it, but God is still who he is. He's still a good God and who has offered life to us. Today that's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is your sacrifice. As the animal was slain and the skins were taken to cover the guilt of man, so has Jesus taken your sin and my sin upon himself on a tree. Not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of life, but he took, he gave his life on the cross of Calvary, putting to death Death for all those who would make the choice in their death to choose life. So if you're here today, with every head bow and eye closed, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to understand God hasn't provided an animal sacrifice for you. He hasn't clothed you physically. He has made covering for your sin. He has made Redemption for the consequences of your sin and my sin through the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today or you're listening online, God makes himself available to you through Jesus and his sacrifice for you. Jesus came as the perfect son of God. He lived a sinless life that you and I could not achieve on our own. He bled and he died on a sinner's cross. And three days later, he made good on that check. He made good on that word by being raised from the, from the dead. And if you will make the choice to turn from your sin, to place yourself under the authority of God in your life, he has made the tree of life available to you. Union with the Father found through Christ if you're here and you don't have that relationship we have counselors in the room would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Jesus it's the most important thing that you could ever do maybe, maybe you're here maybe you've got questions and maybe you just need to talk to somebody maybe get some things straight and our counselors would love to talk to you about that love to walk you through what it means to have this relationship what it means for your life for God to breathe life into your death But he's giving you a choice today, now. Would you respond to him? Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to your invitation. The invitation of your spirit that has echoed from the time of Christ till now to be reconciled to God. Lord, may we make the choice to follow you in obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here, nobody looking around, if you're here and you need to make that decision for Christ, you need to become a new creature in Him. You need that life that He offers you. Would you respond to that? Would you right now where you are, we've got counselors in the front of the room, just stand. Nobody looking around. This is a safe place. We want it to be that way. Would you just stand? Would you come to the center aisle? Would you make your way to the front? 
If you're a gentleman in this room and need to make that decision to my left, your right, Jeremiah is there, would love to talk to you about the decision you need to make for Christ. If you're a lady in this room, my wife is here to my right, your left. We would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make for God. Salvation, whatever it is, any decision that you need to make. Maybe you just need to get right. Maybe you need to get back living the way that God has called you to live and bringing him glory. Would you respond right now? not going to take a long time here. We're not going to stretch this out. If you need to make a decision for Christ, would you do it right now? No one looking around, would you respond right now to the goodness of God, to the provision that he's placed in your life through the person of Jesus, would you respond? Is that you? Is that you? Whether you're listening online or you're here in person, you have access to a Connect card. Those of you in person, that looks like the card that Will talked about at the beginning of service. There in your bulletin, you can fill that out. Let us know if you made a decision for Christ. Do not leave this place without finding accountability for that decision. We'd love to walk with you through it. We'd love to talk to you about that decision. So as you leave today, on the right-hand side of the room as you walk out, There'll be an offering bucket there for our giving. If you're here and you made a decision for Christ, we want you to slip that connect card there in the bucket. If you're watching online, if you will text the phrase North Connect to 31996, that's North Connect 31996, you'll be directed to our digital connect card. Fill that out, send that in, submit that. We'll get that and we will follow up with you any decision that you need to make. We'd love to do that this week. May we be sensitive. God's given us a choice. Why? Because he loves us. Would you make the choice to receive his life today? Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your word. Bind it to our hearts. God, let us live in light of your love and your provision for us. Surrendering ourselves to your authority and all that we do. Father, may we leave sharing this with a lost and dying world that you have called us to reach. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what we found in your word. And that despite all of our brokenness and all of our death and all of our sin, God, you are faithful. Let us be faithful to you in return.